Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kitchen Chat. This is Margaret McSweeney, your host, and welcome to my kitchen where I am broadcasting today. And I just cannot wait to introduce you to today's guest. But first of all, for those new listeners, I'd just like to share a little bit about Kitchen Chat. Kitchen Chat is a, a weekly talk show where you will learn wonderful things from different um, chefs and, and authors and an assortment of wonderful people. And of course, we always end up talking about food. The kitchen is a gathering place, isn't it? A place where we come together to learn and to share. And Kitchen Chat is a place that offers food for the senses and food for the soul. And here, it's here on webtalkradio.net, and I'm so glad you're joining us. And as always, I would love to hear from you. I'd like to introduce you to our guest for this week, Robin Jones-Gunn. She is a best-selling author who has sold over 4 million books that she has written in the past 25 years, and I understand she has just finished her 75th book as of yesterday, so I cannot wait to hear about that. Robin is going to share with us some food that will definitely stir the senses, and then she'll share with us some of her books and the topics of the books that will stir the soul. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Robin Jones-Gunn to Kitchen Chat. Hi, Robin. Margaret, it's always so fun to be with you. Thank you for inviting me into your kitchen today. Oh, well, I'm so glad that you're here, even though you are an ocean apart there in Hawaii. You have recently <laughs> moved there. <laughs> Aloha. <laughs> Aloha. There you oh, go. Oh, that is great. I'm just so glad you're here, and congratulations on finishing your 75th book. What a major accomplishment. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's crazy. Did the math and just about fell over. How did that happen? Oh, goodness. In 25 years. That's like three books a year. Well, you know, a lot of the beginning ones were children's books, so those go kind of quickly. And then the novels for teens are a little shorter, so it isn't quite the same as a full-length novel or... uh, but I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't discredit it. It's been a very no. busy last few years and been just, just a delightful journey. Oh, well, I am just so glad you're here to share with our listeners about the journey and specifically about the culinary adventures while writing your wonderful novels. And um, specifically, just this summer, your book, Canary Island Song, was released by Simon & Schuster, one of the uh, three books, I guess, that will be coming out from them. Uh, The first being Under a Maui Moon. So I would first love to talk about Hawaiian cuisine. And you've recently moved to Hawaii, as I understand. So I'd just love to hear about your discoveries and and let's just chat about food and recipes and and what it's like to, to cook meals in Hawaii. We have been coming to Maui for 35 years, and we always had our favorite places where we would go and get our lunch plate or certain spots in the grocery store where we knew we could pick up local favorites. But when we moved here, and it's it's been about 10 months now, we started discovering by going to parties and things with friends here, a whole bunch of ways to prepare food that we'd never even tried before and sort of the homegrown local favorites. And one of the big surprises to both my husband and I is how much pokey we eat, the raw fish that's cut up. There's one grocery store here, Foodland, that is just superb with their variety of pokey. And it's different every day when you go in. But the one that we we just had at... um, a little gathering birthday party last week was the the uh, raw fish cut up and then the way that it's treated with the lemon juice or lime juice and they added chopped up avocado and chopped cilantro yeah. and little bits of of tomato but just like really really finely chopped and that was that was my new favorite. You know, they have the California pokey yeah. that's sort of like a California roll, and then it's just all chopped up 
and um, you have to eat it fresh because it's it's raw and it's right there and right. And I never thought my husband would go for it, but now we're yeah, buying pokey. Right. <laughs> so pokey is the Hawaiian version, I guess, of sushi, more or less. Well, you know, we have both because there's such an Asian influence in the yeah. islands and. Mm-hmm. Um, the the sushi, yes, I guess it would fall in that category, but the mm-hmm. sushi is a little bit more decorative. And the pokey, is, it sounds funny, but it is, it's just when you buy it in the deli section at the grocery store, it's, it looks like uh, just all this chopped up, like you would see chopped up potato salad or, you know, something really? like that. But it's just all, yep, it's just all chopped up and mixed together. And, and you go you down the line and... Huh. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, is it always the same type of fish, or do they feature a different kind of fish each day for the pokey? Different fish. And what we have eaten the most of would be the ahi, which is the tuna, and that's Ah. the deep red, and it's a little more firm, and it works well with this. But, yes, we've we've tried a variety, and this, this has ended up being our favorite Fun. And so this is served like at a lot of the different parties you attend for appetizers and um, uh, things like that. Because it wouldn't be the entree. Is that right? Is it mainly? Correct. Correct. And here's what's really popular. And I like this way of eating. I I wish I'd started this earlier. But, um, you know, the appetizers here are called poo-poos. P-U-U-P-U-U. The poo-poos, right? So um, it's very typical for friends to call and say, well, just come over and we'll have poo-poos. And that means everybody brings something. So it's not a meal. It's not like someone saying, well, I'll make chicken and you make the vegetable. It's just, hey, just come over for poo-poos. And so everyone walks in and the counter is spread with the variety of what everyone has offered. Now, when when we met for this birthday party last week, we had... Someone made this amazing coleslaw with pineapple in it, which oh, was the yeah. favorite. That went fast. Wow. Yeah. A coleslaw with pineapple. And what, I'm sorry, what other ingredients do you think um, were in this coleslaw with pineapple? I don't know. I have to ask huh. Donna because it was the favorite. It just went. Everybody oh, was I'd after the coleslaw. <laughs> and I <laughs> like taste it out and discern. Now, what else did she put in there? Yeah. And then we we brought the pokey, and the way we did it was um, we had two different kinds of pokies and bowls on a big platter, and mm-hmm. then some different crackers. Um, particularly, we have been going for these rosemary and garlic crackers that we found at Whole Foods mm. that just are great. Yeah. Really does sound yummy. And so you put mm-hmm. the pokey mixture um, on top of the cracker. Yeah. Yep. So oh, a little spoon okay. in the bowls of pokey and you got your cracker and it's all chopped up and you just put it on there and your mouth just wakes up and it's a happy time. Oh, now I get it. So the pokey isn't like an individual serving of, of sushi. It's, it's served in a bowl and kind of mixed and yeah, then all you serve it on up. top. Okay. Oh, I get the visual now. That's that is fascinating. So you have discovered pokey, and I love <laughs> <We> that. <have. laughs> and I love that idea of having the poo-poo parties. So that that's <laughs> great. <laughs> now, what other um, foods have you discovered uh, that have just surprised you in Maui? Well, I just uh, for. Uh, uh, you're always thirsty here, right? So you always yeah. want something to drink, and you don't want the calories in it. So we've gone through a variety of different things that we've tried at the from the grocery store. Well, let's try this particular vitamin water sort of drink that doesn't have calories. Well, what we um, tried last week was I made iced tea, just black tea, uh, boiled it, and then put it in the refrigerator with ice. So we had just regular iced tea. Mm-hmm. But then uh, for some reason we had in the refrigerator a can of um, coconut juice. You get it at the grocery store here. And it it, it is high in oh, all kinds of good things, electrolytes and carbs and everything else. But mm. what I did is it, it's just like, it looks like a can of soda, but mm. um, not it's not carbonated. 
So shook the can to make sure it was all mixed up nice. And then I just added in my glass of iced tea, I added maybe a teaspoon of the coconut juice, stirred it up, and it was fantastic. It was a completely different flavor and very refreshing. I, I can't even really describe. At first, I was thinking it almost it sounds weird, but like an oatmeal aftertaste or something, because that coconut is a really nice soothing right. taste on your palate. So, yeah, it's common to be served um, the iced tea with a pineapple wedge or uh, some papaya. We have so much papaya and pineapple oh, here. But oh. now coconut juice is my favorite sweetener. So that is be a great, that a uh, you know what? That's something that can be marketed, I think. <laughs> coconut <laughs> juice and sweetener. With, uh, you'll have, now, what? You've got to come up with a name for this tropical iced tea now. For the oh, coconut. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you need to come up with a name for that. That that sounds great. So it's, I can it's just, perfect for oh, I'm just gonna say it's you know, it's it's the perfect beverage that you picture I'm gonna just lay out in the hammock under the palm tree <laughs> with my <laughs> with a straw and an umbrella and, and the umbrella, yes. Oh, as as you think about what your next book, your seventy sixth book is going to be. Oh, <laughs> That must be so inspiring. What a place to to live and to write and experience that. Oh, I can just imagine such a sensory experience with that. So coconut juice. Now, have you actually um, had, you know, had, um, I guess, sipped from a coconut? Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. Very, yes. That's a very um, common, fun thing. I had a friend from... Kenya, who was mm-hmm. visiting, and I took her to one of the luau's that's the most um, as over the top as you would guess a luau outside could be, and it's run. It's local family that runs it. Very fun, and oh, of course, now where is that for those listeners that will be visiting Maui? Oh yes, well, I have to remember the name of it. Um, oh. it's, it's in Kihei. Mm-hmm. And that's spelled K-I-H-E-I, okay. Kihei Maui. And um, it's, oh dear, I can't remember off the top of my head. But it's in Kihei, so I'm sure that, you know, anyone could, could help them find that. But it's an over-the-top experience then. Well, yeah, it's, I think it's called the Polynesian Luau or something like that. And it's oh. all outdoors. Mm-hmm. And it's everyone that... It, uh, puts this on is related. So you arrive and they have it set up so the you can learn to throw spears at a target and all the little <laughs> boys line up to do that. And then oh. the girls are sitting on a mat with all the flowers and the lay needles. So you can sit down and string your own lay. Wow. And then the crafters are making items out of carved wood. And, and then the, the eating begins and then the dinner show and one of the guys climbs up a a coconut tree very tall coconut tree just bare feet and hands like a monkey up he goes and then the dancers come on the stage and you've got your drink and your coconut it's just Gilligan's Island it's just great oh how fun and so your friend from Kenya who came to visit you experienced uh, drinking from a coconut then Yes, and all the Hawaiian food that's there. Oh, and there is a lot of Asian influence then, you've noticed. Oh, definitely. And on Maui, a lot of Portuguese. Probably a hundred years ago, the Portuguese came because they were the best ranchers and upcountry. There was such a, a breeding. The cattle did so well that these ranches were expanding their their livestock and needed really good wranglers. Mm-hmm. So they brought over the Paniolos, the, the Portuguese um, cowboys. Yeah. So we have, yeah, these Portuguese sausages and, yeah, good stuff. Well, good. It, I it never realized the Portuguese influence in Maui. Mm-hmm. Very strong. That is fascinating. Wow. And and are there, I mean, do you still um, see like the Portuguese language present anywhere and or any of that type of influence as well? 
Yes, upcountry. And, mm-hmm, and there's some churches and there's annual events every year where they will have a rodeo and you can hear people speaking Portuguese at these oh. rodeos and the just the influence and the foods that are brought there, uh, all from that deep, deep tradition of the Portuguese families keeping up their cultural norms, even though they're on Maui. Isn't that amazing? I love that because both you and I have a very soft spot in our yes. hearts for Brazil and uh, and uh, the churrascarias, you know, the, 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 the wonderful places to get the carved meat that comes mm-hmm. to your table there in Brazil. Do you see that same influence there, um, I guess, with all the ranching and everything within within Maui? Well, we just had a conversation with someone who said they had a friend from upcountry from the ranch area whose dream was to start a chioscaria here. And they haven't seen their dream fulfilled yet, but I think it would do so well because of the local lifestyle. You know, the meats would come from here, from Definitely. Oh, I think it'll be a new trend there on Maui with a churrascaria. <laughs> and the coconut iced tea. Yes. <laughs> Which you have to come up with a name for. Maybe our listeners will have a suggestion on what to call Robin's iced tea with uh which is uh sweetened with coconut juice so please send in your suggestions (laughs) that would be great we'll have to get this on social media robin so we can name the new iced tea (laughs) (laughs) that is great now what are some more um foods that you've encountered um either in the restaurants that you've really enjoyed or uh, within people's homes or churches or um you know, grocery stores. What else have you expanded your menu to include? Well, again, this Asian influence, we have found a local place that prepares fish tempura that's Uh amazing because the tempura batter they use is very light and however it is that they um, grill it, fry it, yeah, fry it, it's, it's, it just is flaky and just breaks off, but the fish is so fresh, and you get that when it's hot. Oh, it's great stuff. That sounds <laughs> One great. Of I wonder if it's like the panko bread, you know, the Japanese panko. Um, oh, that maybe. Might be. You'll have to ask. Now, what kind of uh, sauce do they serve with that on the side? Is there any um, favorite that, that you've really come to enjoy? What comes with it at this particular local place is just regular tartar sauce, but we we just say leave that off. We don't want it because it's just the flavor just on its own. I think it's the sensation when it kind of crunches in your mouth. We have this little tradition that we've started with some friends here, and on Friday afternoon, before sunset, everyone's done with work. It's here. It's called pauhana. It means done work. So Fridays are Aloha Friday, Pauhana, just just get out of the rat race, get away. And because we've got the beautiful weather and the beautiful sunsets, there's a group of us that have gathered at this one park. We bring our lawn chairs and we call it Pauhana Friday. And we we gather and bring our poo-poos. We're (laughs) often the ones that bring the fish tempura because, and you just, we have a blanket and everybody just puts it out. You know, here, I brought a pizza, I brought this, and you just all share little nibbles of everybody's offering. And then we play bocce ball and watch the sunset and laugh a little bit. And we're home by seven o'clock and it's like, okay, I'm reset. I'm ready for the week. Isn't that just beautiful? I can just envision. Oh, and is it is it by the beach or where do you where do you set oh, up yeah. for that? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. We go down by the beach. It's a park that's grassy, so it's perfect for bocce ball. And um, oh, you just watch that sunset. Got to you got to catch it because you know oh. when you live here, you really are in a normal routine. And there have been days and days where we look at each other, and aside from dashing to the store or to a meeting or something at church. We've been inside. We're working. Right. And right. we look at each other like, look out that window. Why aren't we out in the water? What are we doing here? So it's been great to just oh. every Friday get down to the beach, get in the water, watch the sunset, play a little bocce ball. 
I love that Pauhana Friday. And I think that's something our listeners could incorporate in their own lives. Come up with a Pauhana Friday and, and reach out to neighbors and people in your community. And that sounds like a wonderful way to connect, Robin. And I, I, how have you connected with, with people and, and met people you know, since you are new there, moving. Mm-hmm. Well, see, what works so well is the food, again, because mm-hmm. it's just appetizers. It's just poo-poos. And when you are invited to come to something and you're asked to bring something, you're less likely to cancel. You right. think, oh, I said I'd come and bring something, so I should go. Right. And and this this is the formula. So whether you're inside or outside, it doesn't have to be a whole evening event, but it's just, hey, let's meet here. You, Everybody bring a little something, two hours. Let's just catch up. Let's laugh and go on. And yeah. uh, it resets you, doesn't it? It, just, it allows you to just kind of get your system re-acclimated to calming down instead of being in a rush all the time. Right, and just the end of the work week, the Pauhana Friday, and connecting and resetting and eating. I love it. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that is a great concept. Now, one thing, it's interesting, and I don't know if you've noticed this or not. Have, is, is it true that when you watch the sunset across the Pacific, and I can just see that now, um, that there's sometimes a little splash of green? I knew you were going to ask that. <laughs> this has been a big joke with our group because we set it as our goal that whenever we are meeting on these Fridays, right. that we that it's it's we're trying to add up how many times we see the green flash. I yes. personally have seen it once, and it, you it did was see it. I did, and it was definitely noticeable, and it was in the winter season, if I remember correctly. Maybe it was right before spring, hmm. and the it it was. Uh, there weren't many clouds, so that's that helps. Okay. And that huge yellow sun as it lowered into the blue, Pushing, there's just this, just yep, just this green flash. Everybody saw it that time. There are other times when we've been together, and someone has said, "Oh, I saw it. Did you see it?" And we're all going, "Yeah, no, we didn't." <laughs> but <laughs> it's so, this is so fast. Right, yeah. right. Oh. I, I'd like to see it again. Oh, that is so neat. I've always wanted to see that flash, splash of green. Oh, as the sun goes diving into the Pacific Ocean. So, oh, I can just imagine. Well, what an inspiring place to write. And I know that, is it two of your books are actually um, set in Hawaii? Can you just briefly uh, tell us a little bit about those two? Sure. Um, the one that came out last year is titled Under a Maui Moon, which mm-hmm. is so fun because I had signed the contract and started writing the book before we even lived here. <laughs> I love it. We just had been here for so many years, so many visits. And um, the second one that comes out in October so that's next month already. Yes, wow. it is. <laughs> Where did the summer go? Um, so the October release is titled Love Finds You in Sunset Beach, Hawaii. And that's on the island of Oahu. The North Shore is where Sunset Beach is located. And oh. it's a, a familiar name because Sunset Beach is the location for many of the big wave surfing competitions near oh. Waimea Bay and now is that Close to Turtle Bay. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yep. Yeah, my daughter had a uh, my oldest daughter had a choir tour <laughs> that I accompanied yeah, her. Yeah. <laughs> but it was during the summer, so you don't have the the high waves because that's mainly in the winter. Is that right? On the yeah, it's really phenomenal. I've been there both times, winter and summer. In the winter, it's magnificent, where you feel the sand beneath your feet rumbling because these waves are crashing in. They can be up to thirty feet high. <gasps> And <laughs> crazy. And in the summer, it's like a lake. You yeah. can just take out your inner tube or you know your your little hot pink raft <laughs> and go floating around in the same water. It's it's quite amazing that it could be the same place. 
That is amazing. Oh, well, what a great place to have a setting for your novel, The Love Finds You in Sunset Beach, and that comes out next month. Um, yes. And, and what is the, a bit of a nugget you can share from that book that will inspire our listeners? Well, I set the characters there in the wintertime, and the hero is a photographer working for a surfing magazine, taking pictures. And the heroine is a character that I wrote about years ago when she was a teenager, Sierra Jensen. And I just wondered about Sierra because in the last Sierra Jensen book, or the last time we saw her in this, these, these, this collection of all these books I've written for teens, I had sent Sierra off to Brazil. <laughs> I had, of course, who I I want to go back to Brazil. I think yeah. Sierra should go to Brazil. Yeah. And I left her there for. I hadn't written about her. I hadn't checked in on her as an imaginary character to see how things had been in Brazil. Right. And so when I was writing um, the summary for Love Finds You at Sunset Beach, I thought, now who is this main character and why would she need to come here for a getaway and what would happen in her life? What would change? And I, it was just right there. I realized, oh, it's Sierra. She needs to come here with friends. And she needs to experience this North Shore Hawaii, and she needs to meet this photographer. That's Aww. it. It's like being a matchmaker, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, that is great. Well, did you actually, in, in preparation for writing this book, did you watch the surfers on these 30-foot waves? Or did they even surf when it's 30 feet? Oh, yeah, they do. And there's a particular competition here that's been going for mm, 20 years, maybe 18, 20 years. Mm -hmm. And it's the Eddie Aikawa. And it's, um, it's a, it's that one's at Waimea Bay, or maybe it's at Pipeline. I don't recall, Mm -hmm. but Uh they, they will only, they will only hold the competition if the waves are at a 20 foot face and a 30 foot backside. And that's all for talk I'm learning of you know what it means how the waves curl and what direction they're coming and it's the ultimate big wave competition by invitation only hmm. and it's only held when when the waves are that big so I think they went four years without holding the competition and their little slogan is that the bay calls the day so that they watch and watch and watch in the winter as these swells come in and when this when it hits the right size then it's on and they call in these surfers okay it's it's on right now get here you can compete if you're one of the invited ones and you can get yourself here to the north shore and get on that wave and they they don't have tow-ins they don't go in with the um with the jet skis i mean this is like (gasps) iron man stuff where these men are phenomenal athletes so, yes, it's on the local television. It's a big deal. People talk about it. Is it on? Is it on? And there's bumper stickers you've probably seen here, Margaret, when you've been that Eddie would go. And it's because this competition is named after the original lifeguard at Waimea Bay, Eddie Aikawa, who would go out in these 30-foot waves and was just a phenomenal athlete. So it's kind of like them saying, hey, it's not so bad. Eddie would go. What's your problem? Get out of here. that. <laughs> would go well I don't think you could pay me to go on a 30 foot wave but I did try a little bit of surfing when I was there um uh with uh, my my oldest daughter and and um uh it was hilarious that both daughters <laughs> talked me into trying to take a surfing lesson but I I was able to make it to my knees which was which was a big accomplishment for me. And I discovered in the process after swallowing so much of the Pacific Ocean that, you know what? I think the Pacific Ocean tastes a whole lot like Lay's potato chips. (laughs) (laughs) I found a correlation to food. (laughs) But I have to ask you, Robin, have you tried surfing? I have not, and this is on my list. I need to oh, do this. Good. We have friends that run a surfing um, company here where they teach people. And mm-hmm. actually, um, Tom Castleton and his wife, Elisa, who run this Maui Wave Riders, 
Tom was on the cover of Surfer Magazine back in the day when he was surfing the big waves in Bali and at the North Shore. So when I was working on Love Finds You at Sunset Beach, these are friends we've known for decades, and we had Easter together. And we were sitting outside at the picnic table, was eating our Easter ham and Aww. all the normal, you know, Easter food okay. with the under the, the palm tree in the backyard. Um, and uh, Tom was telling me all these um, experiences that he'd had on the North Shore, and it really helped to add a lot more layers to the book of what it's like to be in that community. Surf those monstrous waves. You have to be just a little crazy, I think, to do that. <laughs> crazy and courageous, I guess. Yeah. Oh, I think it's so neat how your books are very authentic because of the research that goes into writing them. You actually do visit the places that you write about for the most part. Is that yes. is that true? Yes. 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 And I'd love to love to hear about um your visit to the Canary Islands um mm. for in preparation of writing the book Canary Islands Song, which came out this past summer from Simon and Schuster. And of course I have to hear about the food on the islands as well. But it but it's interesting. It's looking at the correlation here. You wrote these wonderful books about Hawaii and of course there are volcanoes. Uh it's 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 dormant though, is that right? The volcano in Maui? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. And but there are also volcanoes in the Canary Islands. Is that right? Right. Yes. yes. And I, are those active or are those dormant? I don't know. That's a really good question. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, I just um, thought that was kind of an interesting correlation there. But I I would love to hear about the Canary Islands because I one I don't know if a lot of people have heard of them or, or geographically where you know, it would be located, but um, it, it was funny because I'm researching a little bit about the Canary Islands. I thought, oh, it must be tropical. You've got canaries flying around. That's why they call <laughs> it. You know? <laughs> but I realized that I guess it's taken from uh, canine, where the, it was basically island of the dog. And yes. they mistook, I guess, the monk seals for wild dogs. And that's why it was named that. I'm like, wow, that's a completely different picture than I ever imagined. So share with the listeners, if you could, about what it was like to visit the Canary Islands, what it's like there, and and of course, the food, the taste, and, and mm. the sensory experience there. Yes, that, that true connection to the canines for the Canary Islands is a lot less romantic than the image you and I both had of yes. the canary birds <laughs> flying around. <laughs> and I was invited to go to the Canary Islands probably five years ago by a friend who lives in the Netherlands. And I was over in Europe and she said, well, when you come, we have a place that we stay at is our family, you know, getaway in the Canary Islands. So why don't you stay an extra few days and come with me to the Canary Islands? I had no idea where they were located. And I had, to, I said, yes, of course, at the invitation. And then I quickly pulled up a map and was stunned to find that they are off the coast of West Africa from West Sahara, and it's just about 50 kilometers. And I actually have, in the last probably six years, I've made three trips there with with my same friend. We've had riding retreats there. Um, I've had other trips that took me to that part of the world, and she said, well, I'll coordinate, and I'll fly and meet you there, and you fly and meet, and we'll have... It's been extraordinary, really great opportunity. And what I discovered is that the Canary Islands are part of Spain. And actually, Las Palmas is, I think, the seventh largest city in Spain. And Las Palmas is on the Canary Islands, on Gran Canaria Island. Really? And, uh, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's very largely populated and considered by Spain, um, I think it's their seventh largest city, which is just really so it's Spanish speaking there. Yes, Spanish speaking and not much English. So wow. Anne, my writer friend and I pulled up all of our high school Spanish we could find. <laughs> <laughs> Every time we went anywhere we had to to 
speak in Spanish. We learned quite a bit while we were there just because the signs and everything. So it's a popular location for Europeans to visit because of the perfect climate. It's consistent year-round in the 70s up to the 80s. It's just a lovely, lovely place. So is it like um, a Hawaii type of atmosphere? I'm just trying to envision this. I mean, are there palm trees? What does the topography look like? Yeah, palm trees and, as you said, volcanoes and the Atlantic Ocean lapping at the shore. So it's a, it's a colder current. It's a mm-hmm. little, I mean, we went swimming plenty, but it's not as warm and clear blue as the Pacific waters are in Hawaii, but very much the island feel in that it's laid back. It reminded me more of Puerto Rico or that maybe because it's the Atlantic connection, but, and where it's located on the equator, but a very laid back culture, um, warm, friendly people. Um, The thing I delighted in the most was how, the modern world has not pressed in on the Canary Islands as quickly as it has other parts of the world. Hmm. So it felt like in some places that we'd gone back in time, 30 years. Anne and I went into an office building where she had some business dealings and we walked down the hall of this unair conditioned building. They don't need air conditioning because the climate's so, right. you know. Yeah, like San Diego, it sounds like. Yes, yeah. Yes. So no air conditioning. We walked down the hall, went into this regular business office. There's a woman sitting at the desk typing on a typewriter, not a computer, but the wow. sound of this electric typewriter, tap, tap, tap. Wow. And it just, the decor of the office, and it felt like, whoa, did we just go back in time 25 years to how things used to be? But do they have internet access? Did you have that? Yes. Yes. Okay. They do. They do. But I don't know why this particular, what she was working on was was on the computer. I mean, uh, oh, (laughs) and real quick question. Is the and you're talking about and a graph? Oh, yes, and yes. Yes. Well, one of my favorite authors, too. Her incredible uh, book that she'd written that was based part in Maui and then, of course, in Africa. Um, oh, yes. what was the name of that? It, yes, it's titled Into the Nevernight. Yes. a fabulous book. Into that, the oh, wow. Well, what an inspiration to have a writing retreat with, with the two of you. Oh, wow. No, I know. <laughs> In the Canary Islands. So what type of food did you eat to get inspired for your writing retreat and your visit? We had a favorite restaurant, too, actually, that we frequented, and they got to know us by name, which was really fun. (laughs) um, We always would order the fresh fish, and it, it would come to us, the whole fish, eyeballs, everything, and then our waiter would prepare it right there, uh, pull out the spine. And, mm-hmm. you know, so he's filleting it after it's cooked because it's sliced open and gutted, but then cooked. And oftentimes there are different ways they would grill or, you know, they would prepare different ways. But one preparation method that they used often for fish and potatoes is to cook the entire item in salt. So you would put the some salt on the bottom of your pan okay put the whole fish there and cover it with salt and then bake it 350 20 minutes pull it out the salt that has crusted and you just crack through the crusted salt brush it all away brush it off the fish and what it does it's an ancient way of cooking for the canary islands but it's it keeps the moisture in, and uh-huh. it brings in that flavor. It doesn't taste overly salty because the salt doesn't necessarily soak into the food, but it's rather it's it's it's, it's encrusted in the salt, mm-hmm. and so it's all brushed away. And then just the meat is is put on your plate. Fabulous. Now with the potatoes, there's two ways that they 
prepared them. And I think we had these potatoes every single time we went out to eat because different restaurants would prepare them a different way. And they, they would call it, the title, the name of them is Papas Arugadas. A-R-R-U-G-A-D-A-S. Papas Arugadas. And pop, pop, that's the name of potato, patas? The potatoes, yes. And what it means is wrinkly potatoes. Papas arugadas. And uh-huh. so there's two different ways to prepare those. One is the same as with the fish where it's just crusted in salt. I've tried this at home many times, and it's always worked great. Oh, good. And okay. It's, it's a lot of salt, but salt's not expensive. And it's always with new potatoes or small oh. ones. The red one, okay. So not the Idaho baking potatoes, but no, would no. be the red, the new potatoes. Okay. Right. And so how and, do you crust it in salt then? How do you actually prepare it? You take these little new potatoes and put them in a baking dish. And, um, and are they sliced just, or whole already? They're whole. A whole, they're what? okay. Yeah, they're washed but not peeled. You want that skin on there because that jacket really helps keep that moisture in. And then you cover it with salt. Just, you know, I just get the the Morton's (laughs) salt at the grocery store. Right, right. But, um, you know, the gourmets would want that sea salt and the thicker. Yeah, the kosher, yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And you crust it all. And then, again, it's... Uh, I, I've done both 350 and 400. I don't know that there's that much of a difference, but it it will bake for maybe 15 minutes, and you you can test by poking a fork in and see how mm-hmm. tender that potato is. And then when you take them out, it has to cool a little bit, but then all that salt goes off. It's just all shaken off, and the potatoes are sort of dusted mm. and put in a serving bowl, and the skins then have become quite wrinkly, and mm. And shriveled up a bit, but the potato inside is so moist and stays warm a long time, and and has a a sweeter flavor. It seems to me. It's the the chefs there were saying one of them was telling us that the the chef will select the the smallest potatoes that are firm because that will give the best flavor. So you want small and firm, mm-hmm. and and cover them with salt. And then when this they get wrinkly on the outside, it it's just a treasure on the inside. <laughs> it really it isn't that great and great advice for aging too. Even though when we get wrinkly on the outside <laughs> as we get older, <laughs> we're beaten with age. <laughs> Um, now, so you don't put any type of olive oil or anything before the salt. You just sprinkle it with salt. That was how I prepared it at home. But now here's the thing that I learned. There's a couple different ways. One restaurant, we found that they boiled the potatoes first in their ah. in their in their jackets. So they boiled them first, and then just just enough, just to sort of I don't know, prepare them right, right, and then. Sure. And then would cook them, and it's a, a shorter cooking time then with the salt on it, and and maybe some oil is added in some of the. There's little variations of how different chefs believe yeah. it works best for them. Yeah. Oh, so, you know, good. experiment and see what what you like. But then now the topper is the treat, ah. and in the Canary Islands they have many different varieties of mojo sauce. This is a good one to look up. M O J O, and we would say mojo, but no, no, because that J is an H sound in Spanish, so it's the mojo sauce. Okay. And it it this is uh, indigenous to the Canary Islands. Is that the word? Yeah. This mojo sauce came from the Canary Islands, and they have. I bought a a recipe book there at the airport when I was leaving with Mm -hmm. pictures. I couldn't. You know, it'll take me a while to discern all the Spanish right. for the rest, but the pictures help. And um, it's made up, they have red, green, or orange. So at a restaurant, they might bring all three, and then you drizzle it over your papas arugadas, you know, right on those wrinkly potatoes. You've got this drizzled mojo sauce. Now, and is it sweet or sour or a combination, depending on which you choose? 
Which one? Exactly. It's a variety. But the basic recipe is olive oil, garlic, paprika, mm. cumin, and then red chilies. They like their red chilies. But then you can add lime and lemon, and it's, it's a, a, a process. This is a good one to Google, the mojo sauce, to see the yes. process to prepare it. That and originated in the Canary Islands. It did. It did. Wow. And it was, uh, again, a Portuguese influence. Mm-hmm. Isn't that? Yes. Very interesting how all that came Island. back. Christopher, <laughs> yeah. Christopher Columbus set sail from the Canary Islands to discover the New World, 1492. This is where he came from Spain, gathered his supplies, repaired a broken sail. We visited the church where he stopped and prayed for God's blessing before he set sail. And that's in the book, Canary Island Song. And off he came. But he was eating, I'm sure, papas arrugadas with mojo sauce. It's just as ancient as the Canary (laughs) Islands. Yeah. Isn't that, that's just so historic as well. I I learned even more about the Canary Islands, and I encourage the listeners to get your recent book um, about the Canary Islands song uh, released from Simon & Schuster, and they can visit robingun.com to order that and and learn more about that. Oh, that is just wonderful, and I'm, I'm just, so glad the listeners are joining us today here on webtalkradio.net on Kitchen Chat and um, with our wonderful guest, Robin Jones-Gunn. I am just learning so much about delicious cuisine in Hawaii and the Canary Islands. And what other exotic tastes have you experienced while writing your 75 books over the past 25 years? <laughs> well, there's another series, and again, it's probably best, as you said, for readers to go visit robingun.com because yeah. there's lots of information on the books. And I have an online shop so that you can see the books and and um, order them directly from the website. And there's an entire series called the Glenbrook series. Mm-hmm. These are gentle love stories that are set in an imaginary town of Glenbrook, Oregon, each of the books has a recipe at the back, and oh. it has been so fun to receive comments from readers over the years on that. I think the most popular recipe is Alyssa's Ritzy Chicken. You'll have ah. to check out, yeah, that one is in um, Waterfalls, I believe, is the Aww. one that has Alyssa's Ritzy Chicken in the back. So the characters in the books are bringing to their gatherings Mm-hmm. their favorite recipes, and then the recipe ends up in the back of the book. Oh, that sounds fun. Have you thought about doing a collective cookbook from all of your characters and books and travels? No, but wouldn't that be fun? That, that would be would fun. That would be fun. Yes, really, uh, an international cuisine. And because you also um, have some books set in Italy, is that right, with your chick flicks? Yes. Sister chicks? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Sister Chicks in Gondolas, and the two characters there are sisters-in-law who agree to go cook for uh, a gathering. So they are in this 15th century restored palace on a canal in Venice, going to the local grocery markets and gathering the food and coming back to this kitchen and trying to figure out how to prepare this food for the group meeting there. And we did that, I, my husband and I and our kids, met up with some friends of ours from Northern Ireland and our two families stayed at this very this very same place, this 15th century palace that had been restored. And we would do this, go to the bakery in the morning and try and speak enough Italian to figure out what we needed. And Oh, how yeah. fun. Yeah, it, it, how the food fun. is all through the sister chick books as well, yes. Oh, this. Uh, well, I think you need to do a cookbook, Robin. I think that should be like your 76th book. <laughs> I think that would, that would be, be a delicious fun. endeavor. Now, um, in Italy, what was your favorite food? In gelato. Gelato. gelato and gelato. <laughs> gelato and gelato. <laughs> any certain flavor of gelato. Yes, the cantaloupe one. Any Any mm. of the fresh fruit ones, because you know how it's served in Italy where you see it even in the little carts, and then they have the fresh fruit sliced and on top. And it's just, the moment you take that first taste, it's as if the cantaloupe has just 
woken up your senses. It's so fresh. I mean, I loved all the stracatelli, you know, the, the, the ones with the chocolate chips or the amaretto. And, mm-hmm. But, you know, that's more what we can get in the U.S. But the Italian gelato, any of the fresh fruits were just amazing. Yeah. And cantaloupe. I never would, would think about that. <laughs> What I know. a fascinating flavor for gelato and refreshing. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. That, that is just incredible. So Italy, any other countries that you've really enjoyed visiting <laughs> and sampling? Well, yes. Um, I, I love this world that God made. It has such variety. I just, yeah. Traveling is just the biggest privilege, isn't it? And he's the master chef, isn't he? <laughs> Oh, indeed. In each region where different things grow uh, to eat what has been gleaned from those harvests in that area, you can't duplicate it anywhere else. The one, the book I just finished, mm-hmm. which is a Katie Weldon book, and it's set in Africa, ah. in Kenya. And I have, of course, Katie being a little hesitant at first when she's offered um, ostrich meatballs. Which actually, when I had them, I loved them. So I had to have Katie trying the ostrich meatballs. And, you know, as she started to develop more of a palate for the foods that were being offered, it started off with the ugali, which is the main staple. It's a pounded from maize. It's sort of like our polentella. No, what do we call it? Polenta? polenta. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. But it's white. It's sort of like a cream of wheat texture when you look at it but Mm -hmm. ugali is something that she had um this character you know tried early on in the book and wasn't sure she wanted to try anything else but as she went on just really discovering amazing things you would never eat anywhere else um uh, the the crocodile was a big surprise i really liked it was it chewy was crocodile yeah. chewy or <laughs> tough meat or <laughs> no, I was just going to say it wasn't as sinewy as you might think it would be huh. it was actually quite flavorful and it didn't taste like chicken to me it was different it was definitely I'm eating crocodile this is interesting wow crocodile with a smile <laughs> <laughs> now I, I I can't get over the ostrich meatballs tell me about <laughs> the flavor of ostrich meatballs Truth be told, you have to know they've added really lovely fillers and spices. Oh, okay. So how much ostrich are you really eating? I don't know, but I I love the combination of the spiciness because, you know, there's the the masala spice that's prevalent in East Africa, that Indian influence in the food. Mm -hmm. So you get... It's not curry. it's It's not Indian, but it's still the spices. Think of... Think of the... The east coast of Africa, Madagascar, the spices and cinnamons and nutmegs and very uh, warm, delicious. This is the the chai tea that they make there. Chai is the Swahili word for tea. So if you say, I'd like some some chai, you don't get what you get here at our coffee shops. And I watched when I stayed at the home of a woman from... Nairobi, uh, Wambura. My, yeah, we, you've yeah. met Wambura. You yeah. know Wambura. <laughs> so Wambura said, "I will, I will introduce you to real tea, but we don't call it tea; it's chai. And the process is to boil equal amounts. Let's say you boil two cups of water, mm-hmm. and you add the loose tea leaves to the boiling water by tablespoons. So you've got two tablespoons for two cups of boiling water, and then you add equal." two cups of cold milk once Mm. the water has boiled. So the tea leaves, the water, and the milk are all boiling together. Wow. Now then you might want to add your cinnamon or, you know, these masala, these spices, Mm -hmm. masala, just spice, you know, nutmeg. What do you like? A little cloves? Here you go. And it it boils. It doesn't come to a full boil. It just heats again so there's steam, but you don't want that milk to, to... to turn to, to boil uh, I forgot the word for it but then so you've stirred and stirred and stirred and then you just strain out the tea leaves and it's nice it's comforting you mm. sip it and 
it was typical in Kenya for them to be drinking chai, little cups, six times a day. Let's have some chai. Let's pause. Let's stop. Let's right. have some chai. Right. Very like warm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. 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 Having a hot in Brazil. Yes. Oh, it's very social. It's it's a very um very important way to connect over a cup of tea. It is. And these cultures that I'm talking about that stop and have the poo-poos or have the tea, they've learned something that we've forgotten in the West, and that's to pause. Yes. Stop. Have conversation. Put something lovely in your mouth and let it just calm you and soothe you and, and replenish your energy and instead of just grabbing something and being on the run. No. And to connect. I think that's something that food does. It, it connects. Yes. People. We share. We break bread together. We yes. gather in the kitchen for kitchen chat. You know, it, it, it's a oh, it's a way to connect. And and food is a universal language. And and that's just so. You're right. It's that's an it. important concept. People forget to take the time. To yeah. Pause, to have the what is it called again? The poihana or poihan? Yeah. How? Hana done work. Yeah. How is done. Yes. Hana, work. I am done work. <laughs> yes. And and watch the sunset. I love that that you do that and take the time to connect and, and share that tempura or the poo-poo platter or whatever yes. pokey with, with friends at the beach as you watch the green splash of the sunset. <laughs> <laughs> oh now in, in, in Kenya is there um a certain tradition in terms of serving the food. Does everyone gather at the table, and what kind of table is it? Is it um, elevated or towards the floor? I'm just trying to envision what it's like to eat a meal there. I'm sure that it's different in the rural villages, and I did not visit one next visit. I hope to get into a village, but uh, I was in homes Mm -hmm. and in restaurants and at a conference center. And in each of those locations, the British influence was prevalent in that it felt very much as if we were dining Ah, at a home in England. Okay. So mm -hmm, not Ah. not too much different. But the biggest difference was the lingering, where I'm used to you eat a meal, you get up and you go. But every meal in Kenya was an event was an opportunity to linger. Aww. No one's in a hurry. Why jump up? I just have the most delightful conversations with people because you you go deeper. You have that time and space to just yeah. sip another cup of chai and talk. Oh, oh, I love that. And and it seems like in so many other cultures, Brazil include you know so many different cultures that the meal time extends and and you do connect um did you find that in italy too where do you have that extended yes. time at the table and with family yes because we found that we were eating the main meal in the afternoon mm-hmm. and we went one afternoon on a boat over to the island of murano or mm-hmm. yeah yeah murano mm-hmm. and this is where the famous glass blowers of murano have been oh by hand with the long tubes blowing these works of art for for centuries. So we went to visit one of the factories where they're hand blowing the the glass. And then we walked to a restaurant on the canal. And this was dining hour. The, The restaurant was full. The waiters were busy. They brought the pasta. They brought the salads. You know, we just, we, we enjoyed every bit, every, every bite. And and then lingered with the cappuccinos, just lingered yeah. on the canal, and others around us were all doing the same. They have two-hour lunch breaks. They're not in a hurry. Mm-hmm. Some of them, uh, one when, when guy was telling us, no, I'm going to go home to go take a nap. This is my nap time. <laughs> <laughs> take a nap and then go back to, to eat. I ate too much lunch. I'm going to go take a nap. What what a beauty there is in a culture where there's the freedom to do that oh, and their productivity yeah. is not hindered by it rather than us eating at the computer, eating as, you know, just it's, eating through the lunch hour. Oh, not good for us. You're right. We need to connect and have that pauhana. And I cannot believe that this time has flown by. 
Oh, Ron, oh. I could just speak for hours and hours with you about food and your wonderful books and words of inspiration. I do hope you will come back on Kitchen Chat. I'd love to, Margaret, oh. anytime. Oh, that would be great. And hopefully with a new cookbook. I can't wait to see what's going to happen on that. <laughs> great but, idea. Yes, great idea. But meanwhile, listeners, please, please visit Robin's website, robingunn.com, and learn about her wonderful uh, inspirational books where um, you'll just be so touched by her words, her characters, and also the food, which is highlighted with recipes as well. And um, I encourage you to please visit Kitchen Chat often. Come back to the kitchen regularly. You are always welcome. And, and I have links to the guest, and I will have a link to Robin's website as well today. And I encourage each of you to um, take on Robin's tradition about the Pauhana and take the time to connect with friends and watch a sunset on a Friday or, or just have some time to visit. Because... Please, everyone, remember to savor the day. <laughs>